So may we pray together. Lord, we come to you together and <coughs> we come individually. And in our coming, Lord, we ask that you will help us, for we are such people of custom and habit. And though these are good customs, yet we know the danger of routine and mundane. And we know that we can say prayers and not really pray. So, would you help us to engage with you by your Spirit this night? Also, we know the danger of closed minds. And how easy it is to live in the past not to encounter you in the present and have no tomorrow. So help us. Lord, even if you have to stir us, challenge us to walk with you. We know too, Lord, that we can have closed eyes which fail to see not only the needs of our world but blind to the opportunities of serving you in love. And also we think of how preoccupied we can be that though we have, we trust, clean hands and pure hearts, yet they can be closed so that we are no longer giving so would you help us tonight as we think of what it is to have you to walk with us, to share our journey, to lighten our load, even to challenge our preconceived ideas. <coughs> So as we think of the two disciples walking along that road on route to Emmaus, so open our minds, our eyes, our hearts, our lives, and redirect us to new possibilities. So help us to feel, to know that we are part of a, a great church with all of its variety. And we do come back to ourselves now as we think of this local community of believers, young people with their exams, some beginning tomorrow, and parents, and futures that seem sometimes to hang in the balance. Give a sense of perspective, we pray. And Lord, wherever you place us, work and home and community help us to be 
the presence of Jesus, even unconsciously. And for those illnesses that are so debilitating, people who are so terribly unwell that their futures seem uncertain, that families look on at parents and children and friends, we pray for your grace and your healing presence. And for the local churches in the whole area, we thank you. And Lord, we think of the giving of people in Christian age and the way that people give. And whatever their motives are ultimately known only to you, we pray that there may be a church that is generous. So we come. And this evening we come into your presence. Come again, Lord Jesus. Come to us. Meet with us. Even in these quiet moments. So that your word would come accompanied by the Spirit. Draw us to yourself once more. Lord, help us and hear our prayers we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Elizabeth is going to read to us and um, reading will come, come before you. <coughs> the reading tonight is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24. And it's Luke 24, verses 13 to 17. On the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophet had spoken. 
Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Well, here we are, and the heading is, there it is, so I borrowed it from books right over 20 years ago, which I couldn't put down. I'm not a great reader, but uh, a book, uh, Mandela's Experience, which goes to become a film now, Long Walk to Freedom. Well, this is perhaps even greater. Here's the long walk to freedom. So let's journey together as this familiar passage which has been read to us uh, and as we uh, think about this together. I prepared the, the, the sermon and then yesterday, uh, reading the, the Times, I how many, how many get the Times? Just give an idea. Right. Good. Hope for us, yes. I know most of you are telegraph folks. And, uh, anyway, the Times has um, a credo. Uh, and every week uh, they give uh, somebody who speaks uh, or writes and this is uh, um, under the heading don't forget I'd already said the sermon the sense of another who walks beside you always that's the heading and it's written by Monsignor Roderick Strange the rector of the Pontifical Data College Rome. And this is how he begins. I'll just read this because it helps us uh, for an introduction into the road to Emmaus. If you keep Luke's Gospel 24 open, we'll just pin a few points for our benefit, I hope. Begins. Who is the third who walks always beside you? Elliot's line taken from the wasteland. Some of you have read, to be familiar to some at least, prompted by his remembering something that had happened on Ernest Shackleton's Antarctica expedition that set out in 1914. Shackleton's ship, called Endurance, became trapped in the ice and was eventually crushed and sunk. And in the months that followed, the crew undertook a hazardous journey, drifting on ice floes in the hope of reaching land. Then, taken to the sea in three small boats, finally 
They arrived in 1916, they reached Elephant Island. Now, I don't read all about the grueling journey. The island was far away from the regular shipping lines. No rescue was, uh, the rescue seemed improbable, that's the term. Shackleton decided therefore to set off in one of the boats with five crew members to sail in the open sea about 800 miles to South Georgia and get help. The voyage took 16 days, appalling weather, then forced them ashore on an uninhabited part of the island, leaving the three weakest of his party in shelter. Shackleton decided that instead of putting out to sea again, he would cross the island on foot with the other two to the whaling station on the far side. It's a story, uh, the book could be worth reading, um, of exceptional courage and determination against enormous hardship. And it's a great lesson in leadership. This is what we come to. On the final stage of the journey, however, the track across South Georgia, when they were at their limit, they later reported having a sense of another being with them. That was what Elliot was recalling. As there were three of them, he should have written, Who is the fourth who walked beside you? Well, a great introduction to this um, experience of the disciples. Just consider them and think of those enormous hardships and the difficulties that come in life. Just consider the question, who is the one who walks beside you? When the pressure is intense, the times of crisis are almost overwhelming. Well, that is where we are. And we're thinking of this long walk to freedom. The Emmaus Road, familiar to many of us, it's a beautiful, well-written account um, of these disciples. So let's join them. For all that they knew, for the experience of the Lord Jesus, seeing him in the flesh, they made three fatal mistakes. Mistakes can be costly. Let's look at this. First of all, the basic mistake. They should have known better. Often that's true of us. They forgot the promise, the purpose rather, of the scriptures. I guess and this is the only um, cross-reference that we have tonight. Just look in John chapter 5. It's a sort of a, more than a mild rebuke that we can be familiar with the Bible, and yet there can be a disconnect with the law of Jesus. And on one occasion in John chapter 5 verse 39, Jesus rebuked the religious authorities. Now, how many of us can say to our lives that we diligently study the scriptures? They did. He said that. I'll read it to you. John chapter 5 verse 39. You 
diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Well, fair enough, isn't it? Wait. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me and have life. And the danger, I suppose, of being familiar, particularly among us as evangelicals, we're familiar with the scripture and we lose, we are disconnected with the Lord Jesus. Here is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, all that they prayed for, all that they know about, all they hoped for, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and they missed the point. You know, I guess we've known times, and it's obviously true of these, that when you're overwhelmed with a sense of confusion, that makes sense of life. And grief, Jesus has died, you know their hopes are shattered. They're overwhelmed. And you say, well, what, what is it going to do? So you go back to what you know. Peter does that, he says, you know, for the resurrection of God, at least we can do that, we can't do anything else. And we can sort of do that. That's a simple thing, isn't it? But if you look in Luke, come back to Luke 24 and verse 19. It's a beautiful, you just try to use your imagination here. Jesus comes alongside them in verse 17, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, look at them, face is downcast. I remember um, a preacher from Northern Ireland saying they had faces like a Lurgan steak. I don't know if you, you know the Lurgan steak, they, they do it from cutting teeth in their long face like that, cutting big shafts. So their faces are long, they're miserable, downcast. And he engages them. And We'll see in a moment the way that he does that. That's the first um, mistake. And the second one is this, that they fail to understand what is God's plan for them, the plan of salvation. So in verse 25 he said to them, so again it's a rather mild rebuke anyway, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Exclamation. Did not the Christ, the Messiah, have to suffer these things and enter his glory? <coughs> and then there's this wonderful phrase in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He opened the scriptures to them. You don't need to be a genius. You don't even need to be religious to know that there's something wrong with mankind. <coughs> any part of the world. And here is the Saviour coming along as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on three specific occasions Christ spoke about being lifted up. And they missed the point. They should have known better. So should we. And then the third mistake is this. I think this mild rebuke comes because 
As if Jesus says, don't you know who I am? Frustrated that Savior is present. I am here. And look at verse 24. Some of the companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. It's an interesting phrase. Him they did not see, and he's there with them. It's plain words, isn't it? How ironic that is. They've all the information. They've known Jesus. <coughs> They've got a history of the Bible. And they missed the point. But it's as if Jesus almost didn't exist. This person was coming alongside. Easy to talk to. And yet, just think, he's risen from the grave. He's there with them. Look at verse 38. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Not something. A question. We all make mistakes. Some mistakes are costly. How does Jesus deal with the mistakes? Here's an illustration first of all. Mistakes can be costly. Some of you in business, you can look back and say that wasn't a good move. Or past relationships. Or even spiritually, we miss out. Here's a mistake that cost the company billions, not millions. On New Year's Day, 1962, a group of Grusty boys who played their guitars sent a demo tape to Decker, the company. They gave it to a man called Dick Rowe, the producer. And his reply was bands, guitar bands particularly, have had their day. A man by the name of George Martin, producer of EMI, currently in trouble, but then they were, reacted very differently to these scraps. They called themselves, funny name, they called themselves the Beatles. And as we heard their raw production, signed them up. And within less than two years, John, Paul, George, and Ringo had multiple chart-busting hits in many parts of the world. Since then, one billion people's records have been sold worldwide. That is a monumental mistake. This poor man. Dick Rowe 
lived to regret it, didn't he? That's a big mistake. Financially, and an embarrassment in the music world, sure. But not to recognize the living Jesus is a greater mistake. Either through familiarity or self-preoccupation or overwhelmed by it, whatever the reason. So let's look just then the way that Jesus deals with their mistakes. No vain regrets. No it only. It's so lovely and you can do this for us. It's a very simple thing really. Jesus opened the scriptures. So you see in verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus is the key. Now he's either the greatest egotist that ever walked this world, or he's the Messiah. Well, he is the Messiah. And Jesus, if you like, is the missing jigsaw, the missing part. Scripture points to him. Without him, it doesn't make sense. So, how does it apply to us? Well, we come here tonight. Whatever our circumstances, ever prevailing situations that we face, that we go home to, that we're discouraged, or doubting, overwhelmed with the pressures of life, and so on. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He's with us. The second thing that you have here is that Jesus opened their eyes. He said that he opens the scriptures, if you like, he opens their minds so that they can understand it. But we know we're more than body and brain, and he opened their eyes, and we were seeing that. That was a prayer. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open it. I want to see you. Good song, and it fits in so perfectly here. Look again at uh, verse 30. And it's often used at communion, and rightly so. Although this was just the ordinary breaking of bread, but it should remind us that when, if we have toast in the morning or we have bread at any time, just think about it. As we break bread, we think about it. He's the bread of life. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, probably used the, the Jewish prayer that they still use to this day, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then, not lovely phrase, their eyes were opened. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We want to see you, to look to Jesus, and see in verse. 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And that verse which we read earlier, verse 38. I don't know if they were cynical. There's a lot of cynicism in our world. But now it turned to <coughs> perceiving what you see opens their minds 
with the scriptures, opened their eyes to this living presence. And of course, that wonderful verse, verse 32, opened their hearts. Opened their hearts. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They're saying that after. So the lingering, loving presence of Jesus was with them when he left them. <coughs> doesn't dissipate when he's physically not with them. Indeed, almost intensifies. Jesus opened their hearts. What a great contrast then that you have at the end of this passage. You often wonder who Cleopatra and the other disciple was, his husband and wife. Don't know, do we? Don't need to know, really. What a great contrast when you get to verse 50, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. I wonder how he did that. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him after he had gone. And we do that even though we haven't seen him the way that they did. <laughs> they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. What a contrast. So what we should do is believe in people and I'm sure that's true of all of us here tonight to turn to Christ yet again to trust him to thank him to love him to journey together I often think you know that um, you can sometimes go and visit people and talk in the home it's much better say why don't we go for a walk let's walk and talk there's something quite nice about that Perhaps it's what the Bible says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And I feel sure that tonight our greatest need of all is a fresh encounter with the living Lord, the risen Jesus, promised to stay with us, never to leave us or forsake us. Did Shackleton experience the presence of Jesus in the wasteland? Maybe, don't know. Do we? I hope so. Fresh encounter with the Lord Jesus. Let's take a moment to pray together, then we can sing our closing hymn. <coughs> about our own particular journey, the journey of faith, and as we walk through life, with all of its pitfalls, all of its dark shadows, 
<coughs> fresh vistas of creation in all its beauty. Times when we feel isolated and lonely. Lord, help us to walk with you. You promised to do that for us. Help us to recognize you more. Sometimes you are speaking to us and we are not listening. Sometimes you come to us and we are not receiving. We've been singing and we want to say it again, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. And we can be assured, Lord, that you are not elusive. You are not evasive. So help us to do that. Help us to know it. Subjectively to know it. Not simply in the scriptures, though we thank you for that. But to go beyond that, that by the Spirit to encounter you for your glory. So Lord, all that we can pray now is this week, whatever you lead us, wherever we go in our work and home and community, whichever way we travel, to know that you are with us, that unseen person. Come again. Lord Jesus, come again. Come to your church. Come to your people. Forgive us that we can be terribly indifferent. So preoccupied with lesser things. So would you hear us now. And enable us to keep in step with you. Open our minds that we might think differently. Open our eyes that we might see more clearly. Open our hearts that we might love more fervently. So this evening we come again. And we thank you once again that you come to us through your word in the power of your spirit. Lord, in your grace and mercy, hear us, we pray. Amen. May we share the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.